You're listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more information about the House and our events on our website. Good evening, everyone. Good evening and welcome to the House of Literature. My name is Andreas Delset and I'm the artistic director here and uh, I am really glad to be able to say Jenny Erpenbeck at Literaturse, finally. We, <laughs> we read her a long time ago in German, not me, unfortunately I don't read German, I'm sorry about that, but my, one of my um, very good colleagues does and she uh, she was so excited, we talked about it for a long time, and then we were thrilled to hear that she would be translated into Norwegian. <laughs> and since then we have loyally waited with our invitation ever since for the Norwegian translations to come. So last year, Gehen ging gegangen was published in Norwegian, translation as Gå gikk har gått, translated by Ute Neumann. And earlier this year, Alle Tage Abend, with the Norwegian title Alle Dages Ende. So far, uh, Erpenbeck has been translated into 20 languages. She is also a theater and opera director, and she has won numerous awards and received great reviews from critics worldwide. When Alle Dagers Ende came earlier this year, just to mention one example, Mornbladet's critic said uh, that Erpenbeck is an obvious candidate for the Nobel Prize of Literature. And in a very short time span, she has gained a large number of readers which is evident also from the turnout here tonight. She's joined tonight on stage by the author and critic Kaya Sharon Mollerin, and I hope you join me in welcoming them. Jenny Erpenbeck. Thank you, Andreas, for that kind introduction. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're used to this. Yeah, I was a, 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 a how is the name, props manager? Right. In my theatre time. Yeah. <laughs> so you know all about this. <laughs> yeah, I know about all the things on tables. Oops. Okay. Um, in a memoir about your childhood in East Berlin, you write that it takes you an entire lifetime to make sense of your own life. Tonight we have uh, about one hour to make sense of a beautiful, complex book about the whole 20th century, stretching from a Jewish ghetto in a small town in Galicia, in the outskirts of the Habsburg Empire in 1902, to an old people's home uh, in Berlin in the 1990s, a few years after the wall was shared down. A book about one person's many lives and one person's many deaths. A book about dreams and unimaginable traumas. A book about the road taken and the road not taken. And about the houses we live in and the things, objects that eventually will survive us all. The old furniture, the pots and the pans, the old clock, letters from a friend, the hidden diary, the collected works of Goethe. Homeless things, and at the same time as you describe them, things warm with generations of human touch. So, do you think we'll manage? It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm just answering. <laughs> That's the main part. Uh, this book I've been circling around, The End of Days, is the English title, uh, is your last book in Norwegian, uh, but it's not your last book in German, which is Go Went Gone. And hopefully we will talk uh, about them both, uh, also because the motives I have mentioned are included in different ways in all of your books. But let's start with The End of Days. Many here have read it, I believe, but uh, probably not all, so maybe you can start to tell about the peculiar structure of the book. How did you get the idea for this? Uh, I think the, the, 
the main uh, difference from other books is that the main character is uh, dying five times. And uh, four times, four times reborn by me, so to say. Hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I de so there are five books in the book, and between the books there are intermezzi, uh, telling or like uh, uh, taking back the things that happened and and leading her another way, and then we meet her again like 20 years later, and look at her, look at her death again, take the death back again, and so on and so on. Um, and my idea was that um, I, uh, yeah, actually I didn't want to write about the 20th century, I didn't want to write a political book, I didn't want to write the biography of my grandma, <laughs> Uh, I, I wanted to write about death, and I wanted to look at it from all different perspectives. And I thought just telling one life and one death is not enough to, to say or to tell what, what needs to be told, in, in my eyes at least. And then I, um, I thought uh, the death is always the moment when you make a, like a summary of, of one's life. You look at the... Uh, biography that seems in this moment seems to have led to the death and you try to make sense of the material the life provided so to say to lead to this special death and then you try to um, to make your peace with it you would say in German I don't know and um, and my idea was if someone would die in different, or like you, you would look at him or her dying in, in, in different moments, he or she would be a, a new person all the time. And even with the same biographical material, it would, you would see the shifting of the memories and the shifting of the importance of things that, um, that might... Uh, yeah, lead to death in one life and in the next life they are almost forgotten. You know, the, the weight, the value of things is changing and, and you can look at all this by um, telling five lives mm. in one life. Uh, was the changing of identities the reason that you wanted to write about death this time? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Uh, it's... I think the uh, the identity stays, and it's an interesting question what identity means, because uh, we, we all know we, we the whole life we used to say I or me, and uh, we are changing all the time. And uh, it interested me, of course, uh, yeah, what makes you say I or me, or what what uh, what is the central um, issue? in this moment or in another one. It depends, and of course it's changing. Um, yeah, but... Uh, I also wanted to, to look at the um, techniques mankind developed to get... Uh, to get no, to get along with uh, losing someone. So, so in one chapter it's about the the family and the rituals, the religion, and then there's a chapter about love, and then there's a chapter about politics, and then the chapter about uh, um, like honor and being famous and things like that. State funeral chapter, and uh, because this woman becomes a famous yeah, author, yeah. Oh. In East Germany. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, my, the, the grandma, hmm. about which I haven't written in this book. <laughs> Your own grandma, grandma you mean. <laughs> Naya, the, the, the real grandma, she, she, she was a favorite writer. Hmm. You didn't write about her? No. <laughs> and I was... All the, f the first half of my life, I was just the grandchild of this grandmother. Mm. Ah, you are the grandchild of her. Mm -hmm. But your mother okay. was also a writer, and your grandfather. No, no, yeah, also. 
I bring some order into it. Also my grandma and my grandfather, they started as actors, but then they switched to writing. And my grandfather also wrote theater critics. And my ma, she was a literary translator for, from Arabic into mm. German. So she translated the Nagib Mahfouz, for instance. All the Nagib Mahfouz, the, the Nobel Prize winning Egyptian author, is, has been translated by my mom mm. into German. And uh, my father used to write uh, fiction, but then he... Um, Uh, after the fall of the wall, he published one uh, novel, and then I started writing, and then he said, okay, now it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> so he stopped writing fiction. He, he continued to write uh, uh, books about philosophy and whatever, but not, not, not fiction anymore. So now it's up to me. It is. <laughs> but, but you started yeah. as an opera director, so when did you become a writer? Or see yourself as a writer? Now I see myself as a writer, perhaps from the third book, mm. or so. But but um, I tried my best not to become a writer because all in my family were writers already, and so I thought it's it's uh, much <laughs> more interesting to do something else. Mm. Um, and then uh, I loved writing and I loved reading. And uh, but because I never wanted to become a writer, I never wrote a novel in the age of 13 or something like that. I just wrote my diary, and that was it. And then I wrote some reviews about books under a pseudonym. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Why was that? But I was very proud. So when I was 17 or 18 oh, or so, okay. yeah, yeah, I was very proud that <laughs> I was published. You know, <laughs> in a way. But uh, yeah, it was more or less a secret. And then. Um, Yeah, when the opera directing studies were over, I got no job. This was in the beginning of the 90s. This was, in, yeah. In, uh, in East Germany, it, it was like, if you made it to, uh, you know, the, the numerous clauses, if you, if you made it to study, then you would get a job afterwards. But uh, when the wall fell, of course, this system changed. <laughs> and so I, I finished my studies and there was no job first. And then, then I... Um, I thought, okay, um, I just start writing a story I, I was interested in. So I wrote my first book, but I didn't send it to a publishing house. I put it in the drawer. <laughs> and then I became assistant director at an opera house in Austria. <clears throat> and so, so, and, and the, the manuscript was still in the drawer for three years. <clears throat> because I didn't want to become a writer. <laughs> and I, I, I wanted to, to change it. Uh, yeah, I thought about the plot, and I don't, mm -hmm, you know. And then I, I wrote another manuscript, and then I sent it to a publishing house, and then they said, aha, but have you written something else? And then I said, okay. And then I got it out of the drawer. And they, two weeks later, they called me saying, ah, we will publish it as it is. So, so I was happy. You had no choice then. <coughs> I didn't have to change it anymore. No. <laughs> naja, and and so the, so it started, and then um, then there were people asking me for short stories, for anthologies, and I thought, okay, I never wrote a short story before, but I can try. So I tried, and then I wrote some short stories, and then we collected the short stories, and there was the second book, mm -hmm. and so on. And then we Was on. And then I switched from. The, meanwhile, I, I had become a director myself, and then, then there was a bit like directing and writing, but this was too much. And then I switched to writing slowly. Hmm. I guess we will return to the the subject, but uh, I will ask you now to the when the wall fell. If it was of course a big event in history, but it was also a revolutionary event in your own individual life changed your feeling of existence you have said many times uh, did it influence your writing too Naya <clears throat> I think perhaps I, I would never have started to write without that it's it's um, it made a big a big impression 
on me, so that that uh, a whole state can disappear in the course of some weeks. And um, also the comparison of one system to another, and then all the all these uh, big and small and tiny changes in the years that followed the. You know, everything changed, and um, in a way, you you even f uh, feel a loss uh, concerning the things that you didn't like before, just because you knew, knew them, and then you are losing them, and then you you lose the the knowledge that you thought would be the knowledge for your life. You know, it, it, it's in a way, it's <clears throat> it's uh, it's it's strange. But it also gives you a freedom because you um, <clears throat> in a way i I've, I still feel a bit outside of the um, yeah so like the how is it called the federal republic <laughs> you know <laughs> i it's it's a foreign country to me you know mm. it's like it's now it's i i am happy about sharing the language <clears throat> and i i my life is nice. Everything is fine, but only in my twenties I <clears throat> I came to know this country. <clears throat> it was in, in, in Berlin. It felt I, I always used to say it felt like if you imagine all of a sudden you wake up and people would say Paris is right around the corner, and you would say oh nice, but it's also a bit weird, <laughs> you know. It's, and then you you try to get used to take the short way through Paris, and you like it. But on days on which you are stressed, you would take the familiar way instead of walking through Paris. <coughs> and so, so it, it it was a mixture of many feelings and and um, yeah and. You know, there were some uh, naive <laughs> people thinking that there would be a third way, like refounding the DDR in a, in a good way, but not follow, following the capitalist path. And uh, my family was like thinking in this in this way, and and uh, as you could see, it was naive and it didn't work. And uh, yeah. So, until now, I think it's uh, not the worst idea to think about an alternative to the capitalist way of living because I think uh, for, for for us here it's nice, but for the rest of the world it's n not in all cases very nice, and I think it should fit together. At the end of this um, new book in Norwegian, um, you are describing a son who is soon losing his mother and he's in Vienna. And um, he's observing all these people that he feels that uh, they have this very strong feeling of living in the right world. And he's saying that um, the wall was teared down in the outside world, but it, he has a feeling that the world has moved inside him. That he's not, and he says he feels like the dog who has to stay outside. Yes, <laughs> yeah. is that your feeling? <laughs> Naya, yeah, you know, see, I'm inside now, <coughs> but only outside, inside. <laughs> no, it's it's. Um, Naya, yeah. to identify with a society is very hard after that. So, so um, if, if I if I listen to people that that say uh, uh, we are living in a democracy and in a freedom, I always know that there are so many things that have nothing to do with freedom and nothing to do with democracy and uh, you know. But I I don't have the right to to tell. Because we are the losers, we we did we didn't do good, you know. We were the ones who spied each other, you know, and we had the bad economy, and you know we we did wrong in the past, and and in the past, yeah. And so it's it's very hard to. Uh, I'm still struggling, you see. 
But let's talk about the book. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can uh, maybe you can read it a bit from the ah, book. So. Yeah. Okay. And then you'll read in German, and I'll read the part in the brilliant Norwegian translation. Hoop. I'm looking Ute forward to, to to hear the Nor Norwegian version. Yeah. So I can understand a bit of it. I hope. Also, hmm. Is there a bit more light for poor readers? <coughs> Ah, okay. Um. Der Herr hat's gegeben, der Herr hat's genommen, hatte die Großmutter am Rand der Grube zu ihr gesagt. Aber das stimmte nicht, denn der Herr hatte viel mehr genommen, als da war. Auch alles, was aus dem Kind hätte werden können, lag jetzt da unten und sollte unter die Erde. Drei Handvoll Erde. Und das kleine Mädchen, das mit dem Schulranzen auf dem Rücken aus dem Haus läuft, lag unter der Erde. Der Schulranzen wippt auf und ab, während es sich immer weiter entfernt. Drei Handvoll Erde und die Zehnjährige, die mit blassen Fingern Klavier spielt, lag da. Drei Handvoll und die Halbwüchsige, der die Männer nachschauen, weil ihr Haar so kupferrot leuchtet, wurde verschüttet. Dreimal Erde geworfen und es wurde auch die erwachsene Frau die ihr, wenn sie selbst begonnen hätte, langsam zu werden, eine Arbeit aus der Hand genommen hätte mit den Worten »Ach, Mutter!« Auch die wurde langsam von Erde, die ihr in den Mund fiel, erstickt. Unter drei Händen voll Erde lag eine alte Frau da im Grab, eine Frau, die selbst schon begonnen hat, langsam zu werden, zu der eine andere junge Frau oder ein Sohn manchmal gesagt hätte »Ach, Mutter!« auch die wartete nur nun darauf, dass man Erde auf sie warf, bis die Grube irgendwann wieder ganz voll sein würde und ein wenig voller als voll. Denn den Hügel über der Grube wölbt ja der Körper aus, wenn der auch viel weiter unten liegt, wo man ihn nicht mehr sieht. Über einem Säugling, der plötzlich gestorben ist, wölbt sich der Hügel fast gar nicht. Eigentlich aber müsste der Hügel so riesig sein wie die Alpen. Das denkt sie, und dabei hat sie die Alpen noch niemals mit eigenen Augen gesehen. Herren gav och Herren tog, sa bestemoren til henne ved kanten av graven. Men det stemte ikke, for Herren hadde tatt mye mer enn det som var. Også alt ungen kunne blitt, lå nå der nede og skulle i jorden. Tre never med jord, og småpikken som løper av sted med ranseln på ryggen, lå i jorden. Ranseln vipper opp og ned der hun forsvinner i det fjerne. Tre never med jord, og der lå tiåringen som spiller piano med bleke fingre. Tre never med jord, og begravd var ungpiken som karene snur, skjeter fordi håret skinner rødt som kobber. Tre never med jord, kastet i gropen. Så blev også den voksne kvinnen som en dag skulle ha overtatt arbeidet, når hun selv begynte å bli sliten, som skulle sukket. Nei, men mor da, sakte kvalt av jord som drysser i munnhulen. Under tre never med jord lå en gammel kone i graven, en kone som selv begynner å bli sliten, som skulle fått høre av en annen ung kvinne eller av en sønn, nei men mor da. Også den gamle kona lå nå og ventet på at man skulle kaste jord på henne. Helt i graven var full, og litt fullere enn full også. For skrotten får jordhaven over graven til å velve seg, enda skrotten ligger nede i jorden der man ikke ser den. Når et spebarn uventet har død, velver haven seg bare så vidt. Men egentlig burde haven ruve som alpene. Slik tenker hun, enda hun aldri har sett alpene med egne øyne. Thank you. Um, this was the opening of the novel. Um, and the story starts in a Jewish ghetto, a small place in the outskirts of the Habsburg Empire. Uh, that in the beginning of the century had a large Jewish minority. Um, but the story also starts with a secret. Um, the mother who loses her child uh, has never known her father, um, not even what happened to him. Um, why, is this why, why is this a secret for her? Why, why doesn't her mother tell her what happened? Naya, the father was killed in a pogrom. And uh, the mother, which is at this beginning like the grandmother, <coughs> she didn't tell her daughter, <coughs> and she moved out from the ghetto because she she didn't want to to put so much weight on her and to to 
you know, it's a, it's a bur burden to to be carried if if you know that your your father was killed in this way, and it was it was a very, uh, it, yeah, it it was a very uh, um, violent death and 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 a traumatizing uh, thing also for for the grandmother and and. Um, yeah, this is this is one of the aspects uh, that interested me when I um, went on and on and on with the story. How such a secret can uh, continue to have its weight, even when it's not, it, it doesn't have been told, mm. and and how the uh, and the question um, if it's better to tell all things or to keep them secret. You know, you never know, and it can be long after you didn't tell something that that it um, it is re revealed, mm. and or that it has a you know that something follows out of it. You know, you ne you never know how how many times the things are turning around, or or um, yeah, and and the death is the moment when secrets are revealed. Mm. And uh, in in this chapter, uh, the death of the of the infant gives reason for the grandmother to tell her daughter about this uh, about what happened with the father and about the, the the lying she did all her life until then. And <clears throat> in the second chapter, when uh, the infant is not dying, there is no reason to reveal the secret, because there is no moment, no, not the right moment for telling such a story. And so it just stays like this. Mm. But telling the secret also changes the mother's life, because she goes from being a woman who's been abandoned, maybe he's traveled to the States, maybe he's traveled to France, mm. she doesn't know, uh, to she's becoming a widower. Mm. And no window. <laughs> mm. Yes, it's. Uh, it, um, uh, I don't know the word in Norwegian. <laughs> so I think this family is like a geflecht. So it has. Flechtwerk? Um, Flechtwerk? <laughs> okay, thank you. Naya, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's. There are some things that you can see, and then there are some things underneath, and also the things that are hidden, they, they are growing, and they are uh, um, causing uh, this or that uh, uh, yeah, entwicklung. Mm. <laughs> this or that, what, what happens. Mm. Um, you said in the beginning that you didn't want to write about the 20th century and um, history, and uh, but um, a lot of uh, what happens to the characters uh, is happening because of historical circumstances. Uh, the pogroms you mentioned, but and when they move to Vienna, it's the World War going on. Uh, there's a famine. There's uh, revolutionaries in the streets mm. and the revolution going on in Russia. Um, in what way do, how free are we to live our own lives and how influenced are we by historical events? Naya, in the 20th century, uh, you couldn't escape the political uh, 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 things that, that happened, you know, and, and um, And I, I wanted to have someone who's, who's really changing uh, him or herself in the course of the, of all the the cuts and and the the the, the, the war and all these deep uh, changes that went on in the society. I, I wanted to to have someone who's involved. So so I, perhaps if I if I had chosen someone who's a peasant in a village. But even then, I, I doubt that someone could could escape completely the all these uh, things that happened. And I think this this is a um, 
perhaps especially for writers, this is an interesting question. Uh, if, if, if a law is made and it's just written on some paper, piece of paper, and then it, it uh, turns into life, it, 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 it gets, uh, you know, it, it goes in, in the, like in the bodies of people, you know, like not only uh, making them, uh, killing them or making them survive or, or like uh, enabling this or that or not, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, in, in one of the chapters I wrote, it, it's like to be seen if an election went wrong in the faces or, you know, if there's hunger, you, you would get thin or you could see it in the eyes if there's a disappointment about uh, something that happened. And um, so, so it always interested me how, where the border is between the things that are written, just like letters on piece of paper, and then they become flesh and blood, so to say. So they, they, they become real life, and they can end a biography, or they can start a new one, or you know, they um, they become reality. But in the beginning, it's just a written word, or a handshake, or something. Speaking of uh, writing. Um uh, the woman's father, uh, the girl's father, in Vienna, he's, um, he's reading a book about earthquakes. And the, this book is very important to him, but it's also, it, be, it becomes important for her too. Why is that? <laughs> Naya, um, I found this, uh, this uh, book about earthquakes, and I liked it so much. <laughs> and... Uh, <clears throat> In Steiermark, was it? Or? Yeah, in Steiermark. So, so my husband is from Steiermark. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but this was not the reason. The reason was that um, the earth, nobody knows about nowadays about earthquakes in the Steiermark in Austria. You know, it's, it's, it sounds like huh? it's not Mexico, you know, it's, it's very weird. But there were many earthquakes. And, and, and um, what interested me was there is one earthquake but it's um, what follows the earthquake or what, in which, uh, how, you, how you see it, what, it, what happens, uh, so in, in, uh, like in following the earthquake, is, in nature. Uh, takes so many different forms. You know, like the, 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 the goats, the goats would start jumping. You know, the... The, there is a, a clock somewhere, and the, the pendle would shake not regularly anymore, but stop or something like that. So there's just one earthquake, but what follows has so many different uh, forms. So that if you would just know the goats are jumping, the clock is stopping. Mm -hmm. And you know things are breaking and whatever. And if you would die. only know these things, you would never think that there is one reason for it. Mm. You know the reason is one, mm. but what follows is so, so many different things. And this I liked very much about about the the article itself <laughs> or mm. the, the writing about earthquakes. And um, yeah, and. The, the husband is a good example for what I tried in the book. In the, in the, first, um, in the first book, he's, um, he's just leaving the family and going to America. But in the second book, when he's writing these, oh, like taking notes, uh, th taking notes about the earthquakes, um, it's um, he had stayed, and his marriage is. A marriage that lasted 20 years, almost 20 years. He's a Christian then. and he married a Jewish woman, right? Hmm? He was, he's a Christian and he married a, this Jewish woman. Genau, genau. Mm. And, 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 and when the infant not dies, mm. in, the, in the second version of it, then he has no reason to leave the family and he stays with a Jewish wife. And, and you know, there are some... And, and in a way, he's very lonesome. And, and so he's, he's just writing to escape the family life. And the daughter understands it in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there, uh, 
yeah, there are always things in the book that only the reader knows about the characters, and the characters themselves don't know about themselves. Mm -hmm. But but they have certain uh, abilities or potentials that only uh, that that are only uh, like getting developed in one of the lives, mm -hmm. and then the next not, you know. But the reader knows that she or he would have had the potential to do this or that or to, you know, like, or, like uh, uh, to commit that you are a widow, what you said? Yes, to, 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 like, to, to, to say it openly. To, to say it openly that, that she's a widow or not saying or, um, naja, I don't want to tell the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. But these notes uh, are important to the main character in the book because uh, she develops, it, it's important for her in developing uh, to a writer. Or, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, you don't want to tell about the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, I, I don't want to tell the story. No. <laughs> Uh, Maybe you can read a bit again uh, instead. Yeah, as the as the very thank you very much. <laughs> as the very beginning of the book is like like the whole book, like like a short sketch of the whole book. So it is with this <coughs> beginning of the third chapter, in a way. Um, The, the uh, perhaps I should say she the, the main character she became meanwhile she became a, a communist and she had to emigrate to the Soviet Union. Okay. Eine Frau sitzt an einem Schreibtisch und schreibt ihren Lebenslauf. Der Schreibtisch steht in Moskau. Es ist das dritte Mal in ihrem Leben, dass sie einen Lebenslauf schreiben muss, und es kann sein, dass dieser geschriebene Lebenslauf den Lauf ihres wirklichen Lebens beendet dass dieses Schriftstück, wenn man so will, sich in eine Waffe verwandelt, die sie sich selbst schreibt. Es kann auch sein, dass das Schriftstück aufbewahrt wird und dass sie von dem Moment an, in dem sie es abgegeben hat, dagegen anleben muss oder sich dessen würdig erweisen oder die dunkelsten Vermutungen, die sich daraus ergeben, bestätigen. Im letzteren Falle wären diese Buchstaben ebenfalls nur mit kleinerer oder größerer Verspätung so etwas wie eine verschleppte Krankheit, an der sie irgendwann doch zugrunde gehen muss. Hat ihr Mann nicht immer gesagt, auf dem Theater hängt niemals ein Gewehr an der Wand, mit dem nicht auch irgendwann einer schießt? Sie denkt an die Wildente von Ibsen und wie sie geweint hat, als der Schuss endlich fiel. Vielleicht aber gelingt es ihr. Und deshalb sitzt sie ja überhaupt nur da. Darauf hofft sie. Und deshalb nur sucht sie so lange nach den richtigen Worten. Vielleicht gelingt es ihr, sich mit dem Schreiben eine Rettung zu schreiben und den Lauf ihres Lebens durch ein paar Buchstaben mehr oder weniger zu verlängern oder wenigstens zu erleichtern. Auf nichts anderes kann sie hoffen, als darauf, sich durchs Schreiben ins Leben zurückzuschreiben. Aber was sind die richtigen Worte? Käme sie mit einer Wahrheit weiter als mit einer Lüge? Und welche der vielen möglichen Wahrheiten oder Lügen soll sie dann nehmen? wenn sie doch nicht weiß, wer lesen wird, was sie schreibt. Eines nur nimmt sie nicht an, nämlich, dass dieses Schriftstück nichts weiter als ein beschriebenes Blatt Papier sein wird, abgeheftet, vergessen. Das ist in einem Land, in dem jedes Kind und jede Aufwaschfrau und jeder Soldat Gedichte von Lermontow und Puschkin auswendig hersagen kann, nicht sehr wahrscheinlich. Ein Kvinne sitzt bei Skrivebordet und arbeitet mit Lebnetsbeschreibelsen sein. Skrivebordet står i Moskva. Det er tredje gang hun må gjøre rede for sitt liv og levne ut. Og det kan tenkes at denne levnetsbeskrivelsen kommer til å gjøre slutt på hennes virkelige liv. At dette skrivet så å si forvandler seg til et våpen hun skriver mot sig selv. Det kan være at skrivet blir tatt vare på, og at hun fra det øyeblikket hun gir det fra seg må leve opp til, eller vise seg verdig, eller bekrefte de verste mistankene de gir opp av til. I det siste tilfellet ville bokstavene også være en slags et slags mer eller mindre forsinket sykdom som uansett kommer til å ta knekken på henne til slutt. Hva er det mannen hennes pleier å si? På teatret henger det aldri et gevær på veggen uten at noen gjør bruk av det til slutt. Hun tenker på villanen av Ibsen, som hun gråt da skuddet endelig falt. 
Men kanske hon klarar det. Det är er därför hon sitter här. Det är er hennes hopp och det är er bara därför hon brukar så lång tid på att leta efter de riktiga orden. Kanske grejer hon och skriver ett halmstrå till sig själv med skrive och få länge livet vid att bruka någon bokstaver mer eller mindre eller gör det lättare i vart fall. Det är er det bästa hon kan hoppa på. Att hon ska klara och skriva sig tillbaka till livet med hjälp av detta skrive. Men vilka ord är er de riktiga? Farer du bedre med sannheten än med en lögn? Och vilka av de många möjliga sannheterna eller lögnerna ska hon välja? Hon aner ju inte vem som ska läsa det hon skriver. Det är er bara en ting hon verkligen inte regnar med, och det är er att detta skrive blir bara något et dokument, gömt bort i ett arkiv och glömt. Det virker lite sannsynligt i ett land där vart barn och var kökenhjälp och var soldat kan se si fram ett dikt av Lermontov och Pushkin efter hukommelsen. So uh, again this question of lies and truths but now in a very different way. Um, in what way would you say this is a more radical version one Nej, could say es ist ja eigentlich schön dass sie da versucht also you're speaking in german <laughs> <laughs> i feel at home now <laughs> we're very happy for that <laughs> <laughs> sorry um, <laughs> it was very fine <laughs> Naja, it's it's. Uh, I think it's uh, in this book, especially in this book, it's it's uh, it's interesting that that she's uh, she's trying to write her biography and she doesn't know which detail to take into the biography to put into the biography and which detail to better leave out. So so this is what, mainly what I did with the book in general. And, um, because this is under so, the purchase in Russia. Yeah, she her her, her husband disappeared, and she is uh, you know it was the Stalin uh, time, and uh, the emigrants, the communist emigrants that actually wanted to to help and to support uh, the Soviet system. Um, they were, as we know today, they they were. Uh, killed systematically and this was i would say as far as i understand this it it wasn't a, a, mis, a, 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 a failure in the system it was just the madness of stalin because uh, now they in in the in the archives uh, there they were f- uh, found uh, all the uh, what is befehl the order the orders so, like, really to kill this or that many people a month. So, like, this month you should kill 30 Italian communists and 40 Latvian communists and uh, 12 German communists or something like that. It really is, it sounds mad and it is mad, and, but it was like this. Mm-hmm. There, there were, uh, like, paragraphs, articles in, in like, law, you mm-hmm. know. This is what I mean with a... A piece of paper that this uh, makes the decision about death and life and 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 she her husband disappeared of and, uh, he also was a communist and she she doesn't know what happened to him and, and and she 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 wants to save him and she wants to save herself and she uh, from time to time they the, the communists had to write their bio you know as, as it is uh, and it is uh, still the, the uh, people used to do it nowadays mm-hmm. t- too, <laughs> but in these times it was a, a political question what you put in. For instance, if you uh, were um, had been member of the wrong wing of the Communist Party in the 20s, in your youth, it could lead to your death uh, 10 or 15 years later, you know, and and it was it was and and when I, I I read a lot about this time, and then I understood that people that were very young and they were full of, you know, like emphasis, and 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 uh, they tried different ways in the 20s 
So, you know, what everyone does. And in the 30s, this could have been, you know, the wrong thing to have done. Mm -hmm. and, and when they mentioned it in the biography, it could be the, the end. And, uh, and I, found, uh, I found in the, in the autobiographies of women like, like, she, like her, I found this detail and I thought this is very, very difficult to write a biography and you know someone will read it and he will decide about your and perhaps your husband's death or life and you don't know what to put in. And what is the right, right or wrong, you know? They, of course, they, 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 they had come to support the system, but even then they were killed. So it was not something that a normal person could understand. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, you illustrate very clearly in this part of the book uh, is that it's a thing I believe goes for many totalitarian regimes. That is that um, everything is very re regulated, but at the same time, there, it's a lot of coincidences. Uh, it's a coincidence that she lives, it's a coincidence that she dies, because it's just... I think it, it was more about coincidences in the Soviet Union than anywhere else. Okay. So in, in Germany, if you, if you were put in a, into a concentration camp, you always knew why. And this had a kind of a, you know, like a, an order, so to say. Mm -hmm. In the Soviet Union, you didn't know. And it was chaotic. For instance, my, my grandparents, they... It's a coincidence. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, they were emigrants in the Soviet Union, and, and one day they got a letter that they should go to, I think, Novosibirsk or something like that. Uh, and they just didn't enter the train, but hid themselves somewhere. And after three days, they appeared again and continued working. <laughs> you know, this was the Soviet Union. <laughs> and there was no one asking, like, or coming with a list, you, you should be in Novosibirsk now, no. And if they would have gone to Novosibirsk, they, perhaps they wouldn't have survived, or it's pretty sure that they wouldn't have survived. Mm. So, so um, perhaps you, you know the, the painter Heinrich Vogeler, and and he from Worpswede, he he had founded, also um, it was like an artist colony, and he he was a great painter, and he was also an immigrant in the Soviet Union, and he was sent to, he was sent to to I think Kazakhstan or something to build a, a Staudam. What is a Staudam? Staudam. So, you know, he was a painter, he, could, he was not a construction worker, he couldn't speak Russian and he really died there because he, he, he was starving. He couldn't make money, he couldn't do the work, the work was too hard, he couldn't speak to anyone, you know, he just died. And, and my grandparents were so clever to, not to enter the train. But but there was no order. It was very 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 mm. strange. And um, even now, I, I yeah, it's it's difficult to understand what happened. Hmm. Um, your characters are carrying with them their Jewish heritage, which sometimes is a burden, as you said um, in the beginning of the conversation. But. Um, uh, at least one of them is also carrying with her um, a set of Goethe's collected works mm. from house to house. Mm. Uh, and at the end of the book, uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that, but... Anyway, if you want to know more about Goethe, read my book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's the first cliffhanger with Goethe involved. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, why are certain things important for the characters as things? Naya, the Goethe is a special case. The Goethe is, of course, a sign of, of the like very German heritage, which is an absolutely normal part of the Jewish family's life. And uh, the 
you know, at the beginning of the pogrom, um, a stone is, is hitting the Goethe. Also, not the Goethe, the, the book. Mm. <laughs> in the bookshelf. So, in, the, in the bookshelf. So this... this um, I wanted to show that that the stone which has been thrown by someone who, who is like uh, defeating the German heritage hits the, 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 the wrong book, you know, hmm. in a sense, or the right book. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, the, the, uh, the, Jew, the Jewish people, they, they, they a long time, at this time, at the beginning of the 20th century, a long time, they, they had been yeah, part of the normal German life. You know, it was, it was absolutely mad to, 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 um, to start uh, uh, to, 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 yeah, to say that they are uh, like, like f f foreign people, strange people that, that should be not longer part of the, of the society, you know, and, and I just wanted to show it by the Goethe, but, but there, are, uh, there are some other, some, some pieces of furniture and a clock and things like that. Mm. And uh, as I told you in the beginning, I was a prop manager, mm -hmm. and <laughs> I always thought that the nicest thing you can do in the theater is to follow the path of the things on stage. And of course, I had to do it professionally. So, so I would know the revolver, the, the pistol mm -hmm. starts on the right-hand side, and then it happens this and that, and then it ends up on the other side or on the floor. or some, And then I had to collect the things again after the play was over. But, but uh, the things have their own existence. And I, uh, there is one scene in which I only tell the history of the things. And there's no human being on stage <laughs> at this, uh, in this scene. And I liked it very much. And I thought... Um, and you've you also know, written a book about things Naya, that disappear. Genau. Yeah, things that disappear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's... Uh, uh, either with men or with things, it can happen that <laughs> something is... Naya, Naya, men, can disappear? Yeah, human beings. No, no, no. <laughs> No, I want to continue my sentence. <laughs> yeah. Men is one of the chapters, actually, in the book, Things That Disappear. Um, nee, um, it can happen that, that, um, um, that you are encountering someone or also something that was part of your family or is part of your family history or is very close to you, but without knowing you can you can buy for instance you can buy something nice somewhere and it uh, and you you don't know that this was came from your grandmother you know mm. or uh, or you can meet someone and you never know if your father you know <laughs> that you have siblings yeah. somewhere and uh, yeah and 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 what um what strikes me with this idea is that you should always be aware that something that seems to be strange could be very close and the opposite. And, and this is, is very simple to understand, but for me it was like, aha, you know, the world is not, so, not big enough to let all things go forever. This also is a theme in your other book, Going When. Gone. Go and gone. Go, in go, English. Go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the going book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the going book. Uh, we will get to that now, but maybe you can read the last small part from mm -hmm. the end of all days, <clears throat> and then we'll talk about the other book. So this is um, a passage from the last life. Uh, the, uh, the the mother has 90th uh, birthday. She is in a in a in a home a home for elderly people, and her son is visiting her and taking her out for a, yeah for a trip. Und dann sitzt sie mit ihrem Sohn in irgendeiner Sonne 
unter irgendeinem blauen Himmel, mitten in der guten, frischen Luft, mitten in der Welt. Es ist so schön, dass du da bist, sagt sie. Ich freue mich auch, dich zu sehen. Es ist für mich eine solche Hilfe, aber davon weißt du nichts. Und es ist auch gut so, dass du es nicht weißt. Es ist nicht gut, mehr zu wissen. Der Sohn schweigt. Erzähl mir, war es schön unterwegs? Der Sohn erzählt von Wien, vom Naschmarkt und vom Café Museum. Weißt du, ich möchte leben und ich kann nicht. Wenn ich sterbe, wird nur ein Platz leer und ein neuer Platz besetzt sein. Ich habe dich lieb, sagt der Sohn und nimmt die Hand seiner Mutter. Wirklich? Das ist schön, sagt sie. Ihre Hand liegt kalt und knochig in seiner großen und warmen Hand. Weißt du, sagt sie, ich habe Angst, dass alles verloren geht, dass die Spur verloren geht. Welche Spur, fragt der Sohn. Ich weiß nicht mehr, woher und wohin. Der Sohn schweigt. Über den weiten Himmel ziehen ein paar Wolken. Zwei Flugzeuge, die ganz weit oben geflogen sind, haben Kondensstreifen hinterlassen, die sich jetzt langsam wieder in Himmel verwandeln. Dem Sohn fällt ein, dass es bis vor wenigen Jahren mitten in solche Stille hinein manchmal einen ohrenbetäubenden Knall gab, wenn Überschallflugzeuge bei einem militärischen Manöver die Schallgrenze durchbrachen. Jetzt sind die Russen, genannt die Freunde, längst abgezogen und die Übungsplätze der Nationalen Volksarmee anderswohin verlegt. Und wahrscheinlich ist es auch von Gesetzes wegen nicht mehr erlaubt, zu Übungszwecken die Schallgrenze zu durchbrechen. Jetzt ist es still und der Himmel ist beinahe so leer wie zur Zeit der Jäger und Sammler. Ich denke, wenn wir versuchen zu spielen, dass das ein merkwürdiges Spiel sein wird, sagt seine Mutter. Vier Wochen vor dem Fall der Mauer hatte seine Mutter für ihr Lebenswerk den Nationalpreis erster Klasse bekommen. An seinem Arm war sie nach vorn gegangen, um die Urkunde und das Kästchen in Empfang zu nehmen. Jetzt sitzt er mit ihr auf einer Bank an einem Waldrand, die Blätter rauschen in ihrem Rücken und vor ihnen liegt ein weites, sanft abfallendes Feld, auf dem das Korn erst kniehoch und noch blaugrün ist. Wenn der Wind darüber hinstreicht, sieht es beinahe so aus wie Wasser. Ich wollte dir nur sagen, sagt seine Mutter, es ist mein gutes, gutes, schönes Lebewohl. Ach Mutter, sagt er und streicht ihr über den Rücken. Och så sitter hon samman med sönnen ett sted i sola, under en blå himmel, ute i den deilige, friske luften mitt i världen. Så fint att du är här, säger hon. Jag är glad för att se dig också. Det är till stor hjälp för mig, men det kan ju inte du veta någon om, och gott är det. Det hade inte varit bra för dig att veta mer. Sönnen säger, fortell då, hade du en fin tur? Sönnen berättar om vin, om Narsmark och Café-museum. Jag längtar så. Sönnen säger, Jeg tog med en gave til dig. Så pent, sier hun, og betrakter keiser Wilhelm II og keiser Franz Josef. Det er fra en forretning i Montschein-gasse. Kanskje du vet hvor det er? Du skjønner jeg vil leve, men så kan jeg ikke. Når jeg dør, er det bare en plass som blir ledig og en annen som blir opptatt. Jeg er glad i deg, sier sønnen og tar morens hånd. Er det sant? Det var fint, sier hun. Den kalde, knoklete hånden hennes hviler i den store, varme hånden hans. Du skjønner... Jeg er redd for at alt skal gå tapt. At sporet skal gå tapt. Hvilket spor, spør sønnen. Jeg husker ikke lenger, fra hvor til hvor. Sønnen tier. Noen skyer drar forbi på den store himmelen. To fly passert, har passert i stor høyde og etterlatt seg et par kondensstriper som sakte blir til himmel igjen. Sønnen kommer til å huske de øredøvende smellene som av og til hørtes inntil for noen år siden når overlydsflyene brøt lydmuren under militærøvelser. Nå er russerne kjent som våre venner for lengst trukket ut, og den nasjonale folkearmeen har øvingsplassene sine andre steder, og antagelig har det blitt forbudt å bryte lydmuren til øvingsformål. Nå er det stille, og himmelen er nesten ikke tom som på jegernes og sankernes tid. Jeg tror at om vi prøver å spille, så blir det et merkelig spill, Simon. Moren fikk tildelt nasjonalprisen av første klasse for sitt livsverk fire uker før murens fall. Da hun gikk frem for å ta imot diplom og den lille esken, støttet hun seg til armen hans. Nå sitter de sammen på en benk i skogbrynene. Det bruser i løvet bak dem, og foran dem ligger et stort, svagt, hellende jorde, der kornet enda står blågrønt og knehøyt. 
Når vinden stryker over kornet, ser det nesten ut som vann. Jeg ville bare si deg, Simon, at dette er mitt gode, gode, vakre farvel. Og mor, sier han, og stryker henne på ryggen. Unfortunately, we only have a few minutes left, so... Uh, it's not many questions I can ask for this other book, but um, we ended here in Berlin. Uh, yeah, your other novel, which is called Gård gick har gått in Norwegian, uh, came last year. Um, well, uh, this is also a book about home and migrations, and not least about the Dublin Three like regulation. I wanted to ask you at the end, what, um, what are your views on uh, the situation for refugees in Germany today, which are in many ways the big migration of our time? Naja, um, for the book, I, I, the, the research for the book was uh, that I met a group of African refugees and I met them in uh, 2015, 16. Um, so it was before the so-called great refugee crisis, before the Syrians came to Germany. And um, and even, you know, for the for the Syrians, because there, there were so many, uh, the exceptions were made from the Dublin regulations, and uh, but for the Africans, not. Hmm. <laughs> and also, also now they, it's it's there are no no more any exceptions of the of the regulations. And in and a way, what I, does it regulate? Just to let the yeah, audience know. <laughs> It, it's it's like uh, the, the Africans, for instance, they they are allowed to work in the in the country where they first landed, which is Italy in this case, and they are not allowed to to work anywhere else to look for a job, even if they are willing and really trying hard. They are not allowed to work, and so they can't make a living, and you know, all the things that follow. Um, and in a way, what I miss is that yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't say I miss, you know. I would say I miss um, a serious attempt to to find a, a way to to deal with this situation that is already there and will not change, and to face the situation and to do something that allows to you know to reorganize things, but. Uh, why I cannot say I miss it is because uh, the countries thought about it again, and they will not take back the Dublin regulations. And they, every country that is not the country where they land first is happy about it. You know, Italy, Greece, and Spain—they are—they are left alone, even now. So years later, and and the refugees are left alone, and the the, the camps are no solution, and. You know, to say we don't take economic refugees is not a solution and it's not even a serious attempt to deal with it, you know. And and I think, uh, but I'm not a politician. But your book cut right can, into the public debate. Was that in yeah, your intention? And, and, yeah, and I think it, there, there's a direct way from my other <coughs> books to this book because I uh, I know that a refugee that uh, is struggling to survive will, um, you know, the problems that we are living through now, they, they will continue for the next generations. Even if, uh, you know, if someone is born in a refugee camp, you know, who, who will it be in 20 years? You know, it's so short-sighted to, to say uh, we just solve the problem somehow, you know, it's, it's, it's not... The long-term thinking, and and um, yeah, and only because the, the the setting is in the 20th centuries, the people said, "Ah, this is a political novel." <laughs> what they what they didn't say about the others, you know, <laughs> the 20th century is much more comfortable mm -hmm. because you know we can feel pity with the refugees of the 20th century, mm -hmm. 
but to, to deal with the refugees of our century is much harder. And to keep on going and not, you know, not, not forgetting about them when they are out of sight somewhere. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think, think that seems to be my last sentence. Yes, it <laughs> does. Um, it does. Thank you so much. Yanir. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more episodes and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud and our website. The music is by Apotek.